On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. I'm in a hotel in New York, and natural lighting is beaming on my face. And in this Zoom, guys, the lighting is so amazing. Do you know what I look like? Washed out in a good way. I look like Shania on the cover of Come On Over. Just like eyes, lips, and naughty. Okay, you know, I was getting more of a Truman Capote vibe. Oh, thanks. Wow. <laughs> In cold blood, you know, that is, uh, yes. that's, it, that's, that's what, yeah, there is, there are no, um, red blood cells in you right now. No. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm giving desperate crush on a prisoner. Uh, that actually is a really good movie, Capote. It's been ages since I've seen it, but, um, sullen Catherine Keener as Harper Lee, trusty, um, Fag hag, but low key. Unusual mode for somebody to play. Enjoyed it. Remember when we were getting a lot of Capote movies? Yes, we had Infamous with Toby Jones and Sandra Sandra Bullock as Harper Lee. That's one of the crazier things we've done. Um, it's it's wild to think about a moment when Hollywood was like obsessed with Truman Capote. And like it currently. must have been because yeah no it must have been because of the specific voice mm-hmm. like maybe like you know that's just an actor's dream or something but otherwise yeah nothing about him screams Hollywood should pay attention to this truly sniveling gay man yeah you know they did they did breakfast at Tiffany and then they were like okay we're good initially <laughs> you know back back in the the fifties. But, um, yeah, no one was rushing to make other voices, other rooms a thing. <laughs> Look it up, by the way. Great. Well, actually, that I feel like is the cover, too, that I was. It wasn't other voices. I think that might have been the cover I was referring to when you were looking very translucent from the um, natural lighting. There's a great essay oh. on Truman Capote in Hilton Alza's book, White Girls, that people should read. Oh, and what's the nature of it? Well, it just talks about what it talks about, you know, his, uh, his favorite white women. And he considers Truman Capote to be one of them because Truman Capote was very, you know, effeminate and learned from like um, Harper Lee and like the other women like of his time. Um, but when he wasn't taken seriously as an author, he shifted hard into masculine with In Cold Blood. Oh, interesting. Uh, he also was not taken seriously, um, and this is justified, as an actor. Have you ever seen the movie Murder by Death? Of course I've seen Murder by Death. <laughs> okay, well, it, it's a movie that's sort of fallen off the planet. It's this Neil Simon movie that is, in, ex- this is exactly what it is, a precursor to Clue. It's a murder mystery in a house, and all of the characters are based on famous detectives uh, in lore. So there's one based on Charlie Chan that's, of course 
racist yellow face by mm. Peter Sellers. There's a, a, a Miss Marple send up, et cetera. Um, and Truman Capote has a sort of plum role as uh, a, a, a mysterious member of the household. And it's just shocking to see this man interact with other people in real time being campy on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's, it's like, a, it's like a Warhol esque moment for him. But anyway, yeah, my father uh, I mean, he was golden globe nominated for that too. You know, the golden, and by the way, the golden globes are back. Thank God yeah. we should get into that. Uh, my father, Peter Falk is in that film. He, oh, oh, oh wait, is Peter Falk, uh, one of your faves? I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, I fucking love Columbo. Oh yeah. One of the great shows. It's also on Rolling Stones. 100 greatest TV shows list, which I was fuming about the other day. Have you appeared at that? I have not looked at that, but um, is it a part of your keep it? You know what? Maybe I'll save it for that. I, w- I will replace my keep it with the Rolling Stone list. Even though I, Alan Seppenwall, who writes most of the TV stuff for Rolling Stone, I think was wrote the captions for uh, that list. Um, and they're well-written captions, and I am not shading those. Love his work. But some of the choices. Yeah, we'll get into it. Don't worry. Okay. Getting quickly back to Murder by Death. Um, yes. I think one also of the starring most, Eileen Brennan, who is also in Clue. Anyway, moving on. I think one of the most basic things about me is that I like Neil Simon. Now, are you sure about that? Well, I, okay. I, 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 I can I see used it coming like out of your Neil mouth Simon. and you like how it sounds. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. in the project where you like Neil nailed it. Rumors. That it, it literally in his top three. I would say the Sunshine Boys with uh, George Burns, also top three. But, I mean, have you seen California Suite recently? It's uncomfortable to be mad at Jane Fonda, and I was. Uh, well, I, I was even taking it back um, when I said it, because I do remember that I saw Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick in Plaza Suite, uh, which is one of the worst theatrical experiences of my life. I've heard that from multiple people. Now, why was that that bad? Because obviously they're both stage veterans and he specifically is a Neil Simon veteran. I think we've maybe passed the point for um, comedy about middle, upper middle class people from the 60s in New York. Right. I just, none of that resembles reality anymore. You know, the comedy is very much a appealing to, you know, the broadway audience of that time and i think the humor is a little it's a little stale it's not very updated and it just felt so kitschy it felt like i was literally plopped into a production from that era and but it didn't have any of i don't know like the the energy that maybe it had then i don't know if there was energy i mean you know like people were getting shibbed in times square then so there had to be some energy you know just to make it right. to the theater alive but now it's like <laughs> you know you're just walking past tkts so right no but it is interesting to think about neil simon once upon a time was like the definitive broadway voice and that he was the exciting new voice and you're it's hard to place what the thing was that people were so craving that like was say, but it's like, I guess we just didn't really have light chill comedies, you know, like things before that were a little bit more screwball or broader maybe. So the fact that it was even a step closer to reality is maybe what appealed to people. You know, you got, he gave fine roles to, I think people like Maureen Stapleton. Maybe that was thrilling at the time. I don't know. I enjoy his memoir rewrites. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I saw him. Uh, I I saw him at a hotel in L.A. once, and that was shocking to see. Because I mean, he's died now, but and he was with his wife Elaine Joyce, uh-huh. match game veteran Elaine Joyce. Uh, 
and it's like seeing a building or something, you know, just an actual institution in front of you. There wouldn't be an entire arm of theater without this person. Yeah, I mean, that was that was sort of like when I tr- I truly cannot remember where I was, but like I saw James L. Brooks at a place, and I was just like, it's weird to think of. First of all, it was weird to think that like I know what you look like. Right. Right. <laughs> Sort of like being recognized from a podcast. It's yeah. like, how did you do that? Uh-huh. Because right. <laughs> um, we're, we're actual television nerds, if we know what James L. Brooks looks like. Um, right. Yeah. But um, Neil Simon... Which, by the way, speaking of which, la- last night I uh, saw a Kate Berlant's show in New York. If you guys know Kate Berlant, mm-hmm. wonderful, um, irreverent comic. You, uh, often going cross-eyed in the middle of saying something sincere. That's sort of a, a big part of what she does. Uh, she works with John Early a lot. I'm sure you're familiar with her. Saw her show. And then afterwards, I was talking to her and I said, uh, uh, God, crazy people must walk through the, these uh, this theater to see you because everybody's heard of you, wants to see you. And she goes, the craziest was seeing James L. Brooks, who apparently was um, unbelievably nice. But I was thinking like, James L. Brooks does not have a single credit that's bad, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm, I'm like going through them. What an unbelievable career. And then like to move into the Oscars territory with Terms of Endearment. Simply shocking. I love all these up-to-date references we keep making. Neil Simon, James L. Brooks, thrilling. Yeah, you know, every season of Taxi wasn't a winner. <laughs> anyway, um, speaking of Kate Berlant, she's also in Don't Worry, Darling. Yes. And this is the grand finale of us talking about Don't Worry, Darling. <laughs> the trilogy, finally. <laughs> uh, and believe it or not, we have one of the stars of the film with us. Guys, Florence Pugh is here. <laughs> <laughs> Shackled. Yes. <laughs> Help, she's screaming. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? She, she, was... she will be on this show. Oh, of yeah. course. I, 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 I truly believe that in my heart. But, like, can you imagine if she was just like, you know what? It's over. I'm going to call up, keep it, and I'm going to tell everything. <laughs> First of all, we don't have a phone number here, Akiba, but she would she would know it somehow and call it. We used to have a phone number. I'm sure oh it still God, works. We, did. we used to take yeah. listener. Somebody give it a shot. We used to take listener voicemails. I'm sure it's like five 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 keep it or something. Um, it's somewhere. So yeah. you know, um, the keep it graveyard of things. Uh, our phone number is there. Um, also, Rihanna's hosting the Super Bowl, so we're gonna get into that. And also, our actual guest is Nick Kroll. Did we say that? Oh no, we didn't say that. We didn't say that. Let them, okay, we, yeah, yes. we're we're beating the joke into the ground. Um, a motherfucking hilarious man, <laughs> and also heartfelt man. Yeah, you know, you can't be a man in comedy uh, without wearing your heart on your sleeve. Now, just like Cher Horowitz. There is. <laughs> there's there was some tweet. I wish I could identify the author. I apologize, but he said, "Oh yeah, uh, my partner and I are a comedy team. I'm the trauma guy. He's the grief guy." Uh, Mocking where comedy has gone in recent years. Super <laughs> funny. Yeah, uh, yeah Nick Kroll is um, one of my faves. He's great. So we'll be right back with more Keep It. After months of gossip and headlines and two breathless episodes of Keep It, uh, where we documented the entire press tour of Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry, Darling. It has finally debuted in theaters 
and claimed the top spot at the box office. Do you think it would have done that anyway without all this? Maybe. Harry Styles fans are rabid. Right. No, I mean, like, there's like six actually mobilized fan bases on Earth. You know, Lady Gaga is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Selena Gomez is one of them. You know, um, white supremacy is one of them. <laughs> and then the Iggy fans? <laughs> Styles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Yeah, you know, he's, he sold out, like, what, 15 consecutive nights at Madison Square Garden? And speaking of 15 consecutive anything, 15 weeks at number one with As It Was, a song that is fine. I don't want to turn it off. It sounds, it, it has a throwback to a band like Travis vibe. Um, but 15 weeks at number one, bitch, you don't have what Los Del Rio has. Don't start. <laughs> I, you know what? I do like the song, and it's 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 funny because I we've we've talked you know extensively about Harry on this show about you know like um, whether we're into the music, the performance. Um, I feel like I need to see the him. Blouses. I need to see to <laughs> I need to see him not at Coachella because Coachella wasn't the vibe for me, you know. But maybe it's also like he's not the vibe when you're in a desert on um, a lot of substances. You know, sure. maybe I need to be at Madison Square Garden to, you know, take that in. You know, you need the spectacle of going to a concert, you know, going to see a show. I just feel like he's one of those people where it would literally be like the Beatles where you can't hear the music. The people are so rhapsodic and, you know, that gif of a woman opening her mouth and the Oprah audience and melting into, you know, oblivion. I love that video. And that I believe that is from one of her first favorite things episodes when people had no idea what they were getting into yeah you think you're just going to see an Oprah episode and she's like you're gonna get a car yeah drop kicking <laughs> vehicles at you yeah. side note the way that those women were horny and rabid in the audience by Oprah saying favorite things is right terrifying the way they immediately knew they could take up space in the aisles. They're like, I'm leaving my seat. I'm pacing around. Because <laughs> you know Oprah runs a tight ship. So. Yeah, you know, but my favorite things is her favorite blood sport. <laughs> People died. Oprah's favorite things is her Ellen's game of games. Yeah. Where, you know, yeah, gladiatorial, you know. Um, People get lost in the quicksand. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to this film... Oh, yeah. Also, I will say this. So we are taping this as Ira has seen the movie. I have not. By the time we interview Nick Kroll, I will have seen the movie. But we're going to structure this as Ira deciding whether or not I should see it. And then I will decide whether I agree. So go ahead. No. <laughs> Let me no. give a more nuanced answer. Uh- Please. <laughs> Uh, this movie's oh, a trip. This movie's a trip. What? Yeah. So it's a thriller. It feels like something that can be very easily spoiled. Yes, it it can be. You know, and um, there obviously is a twist. There's always a twist. Um, and by the way, there's only like five satisfying movie twists in history. So if you have a big twist that your movie hinges on, might end up being bad. Yeah, and the number one is 
the Bible. Oh, all right. No. <laughs> Uh, Wait, the number one twist of all time, Psycho? Um, sure. My f- number one twist in a film is um, J-Lo's second act. Uh, <laughs> no, hold Oh, right. The, the plant I'm from Hiroshima. I'm up with Marry Me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it's not Marry Me. Second act is the one where it's a, a, a parenting twist, correct? Yes, and then also she has a plant that survived Hiroshima. Which which, which which she is, which she mines to create like the best makeup that doesn't fall off when you cry or something. That's exactly how science works. Um, that reminds me, of course, of the movie, The Boy Next Door. Wait, is that the name of that movie? Yeah, The Boy Next in? Door. Yeah, with the uh, with, first original edition of yes. um, the Iliad, the Odyssey. The Odyssey. Or the no, sorry, the Iliad. The Iliad. The Iliad. She had a first edition of the Iliad. You know. Back before there was like normal paper. Yeah. You know what? You thought that started as an oral history, but actually um, it was the first podcast. And That's right. <laughs> the first edition book is actually just a transcription of that. Oh. Um, it's funny. Available on the Crooked website. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right next to some coffee. Yes. That's right. They love it there. Um, it was funny thinking about Homer, just like, going around telling this long ass story just very, several long ass stories it's like the odyssey and the iliad yeah. are both very long and you just being like girl i've heard this part before <laughs> or are you being like move it along or it's just like the uh i love like like old like films like set around that time too you know there's always like some old man or some woman like sitting by a fire they're like Tell us about Medusa again. Tell tell that favorite story of yours about the Argonauts. I'm like, that's what storytelling ah, used yes. to be. Yes, right. You asking someone to Doing retell like you something. Little witch fingers as they tell you about Cersei. Yes. Um, anyway, back to Don't Worry, Darling. So I, here's the thing. I feel like all the fear around this movie has been somewhat obviously veiling the fact that this is a rather conventional film. It is. It's honestly like a conventional thriller, too. Uh, I mean, you know, any thriller that lands on the blacklist, um, you know, it's it's not going to be the, the blacklist fr- has done us wrong. It, yeah, it has done. It's or, not going to be the actually, French you know connection. OK, right. Correct. Actually, the deal with the blacklist is it just throws into perspective how much a movie's success is about the production and not just the script mm-hmm. or how you can like you, you can, you can even write the errors of a script via the production, you know, but you know, like, it's also like the script in Hollywood, you know, like the script was great. You know, like, what does that mean anymore? Because, you know, this script was rewritten anyway by Katie Silverman. Yeah. Um, and but it's like, when I think of the blacklist, I think of the beaver being on it, you know, mm. that Mel Gibson directed movie with, um, a young Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, he's so uh, good. When is he going to come on Keep It? <laughs> Mel Gibson. <laughs> he is so good. <laughs> Guys, if you... I mean, I don't... Daddy's Hope too. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Year of Living Dangerously, the man was fine. Uh, and so was Linda Hunt. <laughs> Moving on. I try to think about the actors we would have interviewed if this podcast was on in like the 80s, 90s, and how many of them we could then never invite back. Right. Because <laughs> they're no. evil now. Uh, no, like Mickey Rourke, you know, there'd be, there'd be a lot of problems. Antonio Sabato Jr.? Wow. I mean, 
we would be interviewing him for his one credit. <laughs> uh, Melrose Place. Yes, that's right. No, but okay. Don't worry, darling. Does Florence if you at can't least tell an A plus performance? <laughs> She's great. Sorry, and also if you can't tell, we keep talking about anything else. <laughs> right. But she's good. She's very good in a film that I can't even say whether or not, you know, like people are really bad. It's just that so it's sort of like not given a lot to do. She has a lot of scenes that are sort of just by herself. Mm. David Fincher had the wherewithal to give Jodie Foster uh, Kristen Stewart in Panic Room, you know, while she's like a woman figuring out things. But a woman figuring out things film is always sort of like a letdown. And I feel like it's, it's, it's like it's, it's, a, it's a common thing we see, like The Forgotten, you know, like a film like mm-hmm. that. But it's just sort of like, it's just scenes of like Florence Pugh just like standing around in this 50s style house, like, or walking around the desert, like looking at things and thinking. And I'm like, is that entertaining? Well, I mean, that can be compelling in a certain type of movie, like a Todd Haynes movie, for example. But I feel like all these movies, like what you're talking about, want to be Rosemary's Baby. And there is just not a second one of those movies, even including the great, um, I was about to call it The Inheritance. What's the Tony Collette movie called? Hereditary. Mm. I mean, I know you don't love Hereditary as much as you should, but that's okay. I just thought 20 minutes of it was a little bit too Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Though the rest of it I thought was great. The the family tragedy part of it, the part that reminds me of Rabbit Hole, I love. Mm. Yeah, it always sort of harkens back to Rosemary's Baby. And like the reason I think Hereditary is a great movie because it's about a woman like, you know, quote unquote figuring things out, but it's also linked to family trauma and it's and it's saying something. I think that ultimately the twist in Don't Worry Darling doesn't say much. Mm, mm, yeah, the twist has to be loaded. There has to be some poetry going on. Yeah, I mean, and it says something, but it's sort of just, you know, so it's it's a slate essay. Ooh, got, got it. Oh, so it, may, it, it could have just been a paragraph instead of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, no, wait. Okay, well, let's get to Harry Styles. What was he bringing thespian-wise? Is he... Here is the biggest you know, twist at- of this film. His character is British. It's never been done. Why is he British in this movie? Because he is British. And so right, that's familiar. I also I also can't, couldn't tell if he's acting British because of the twist. Uh I was very confused by the end of the film. But um for the most part, those scenes that we were seeing um uh, online where people were like he's slipping in and out of his accent, um, I think that was just his modulation in screaming and acting, because that character is British. He's using his own accent okay. in the majority of the film. Oh, I see. So some of our fear about that clip was, I don't know about misdirected, but we we could have used more information. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, oh, he's doing like six different accents in one scene. It's he's just doing one, but it's, you know, he's making choices. Got it. Got it. Um, more than Sophie ever did. Hot- <laughs> she really only had to make one choice ultimately. Did she make the right one? And by the way, and by the way, it was like tomato tomato. Yeah. She's like this one's closer to you, take her. <laughs> what is the high point of this movie? The high point of the movie is um realizing it's a Nazi allegory. I'm kidding. Um but it also is. <laughs> um the high point of the movie honestly is watching it in the theater. 
I started in the Williamsburg cinema, and at a certain point, the audience had some things to say. As in they were upset? <laughs> no, upset is just sort of, you know, that instance where, you know, you sort of like lose an audience to the point where they're not, they don't hate it, but it's like the people, they're like, they're okay with people like openly like make, making fun of this movie while watching it. Oh, sure. And it became that. Um, Got it. It's this, you know, there's also, there was a more recent drama coming out this week, right? Where like, uh, Kiki Lane tweeted like, um, all my yes. scenes were cut, but at least I met my new man on the set of this film. <laughs> Which, is that smart of her to post? I mean, like, I know like everybody gets cut out of movies sometimes, just like in editing, like it's, it's more convenient if mm-hmm. things get trimmed out or whatever. She truly just but has three scenes good. though. And it sort of is wild that a lot of the twist and Florence's realizing things hinges on this. So oh, okay. I get it. Um, but, you know, I think that I was happy to see her in less of the film because um, there was not a black hairstylist on set. And I was concerned every time <laughs> I saw Kiki on screen. What's like the most egregious example of that where it there are black characters in a movie and you can tell the people behind the scenes aren't who they should be? Most Halle Berry films. Oh, that's a good answer. That makes sense to me. <laughs> the wigs. <laughs> She's constantly yeah, in distress. The, the wigs move independently of her. Yeah, they, what, like it, one, it's looking one way and she's looking the other. <laughs> it's like that movie Bad Hair. <laughs> Due to the bad hair. Right? Yeah. Also, a more fun film than Don't Worry, Darling. Wow. It, Don't Worry, Darling is taking a beating right now. Luckily, there are truly so many movies I'm looking so forward to. So the I wouldn't recommend uh, not watching it. You know, um, and LOL us discussing this before we interview Nick. But um, you know, it's I I think that all of the controversy, having endured it, it's worth seeing the film. Um, Mm. But I unfortunately am not compelled by it much at all you- and i think that olivia wilde was a rad person when we met her and i thought that book smart was very fun um and interesting too um there's unfortunately just like not a lot here were you at all um consumed with the idea of what shia labeouf would have been like in it I, honestly by the time we got to the film i forgot about him Mm. I don't think well, he, I don't think he would have been that much more compelling in the film either. To be honest, I, honestly, based on what I'm hearing about this movie now, it kind of would have been a strange choice for him. Like it feels not. I don't know. Um, His Disturbia era. Yeah. Oh, you know? oh, all right. Which I was an era I supported once upon a time. Yeah, you know his. Um, that movie's good. His eagle and eye a, era. You know, a re- Same era. Yes. This is. Re- I, I was. I was very uh, cautious about a, a rear window update, and then it turned out to be really good. But then I realized spying on people as just a casual citizen or whatever is like a universally interesting idea. I don't think rear window even invented that. But. And here's the thing. It's fun. It's basically one of those movies, you know? So, like, go see it in the theaters if you want to know about the conversation surrounding it. You know, it's going to be one of those movies where you're like, I don't know if this made sense. Uh, or you watch mm. it on a plane. 
you know, but is it essential cinema? No. And did it really sort of like make the case for Olivia Wilde as a, you know, like force to be reckoned with? No. Mm. All right. Well, here I go to see it now because I have to be involved and people are going to come up and talk to us about this movie for at least another four months. So I don't want to be blowing smoke. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be in the Oscar race. <laughs> but but for what? Yeah. Honestly, it might get a Golden Globe. No. Uh, oh, no. If ever a movie ended up at the Golden Globes, it is Don't Worry, Darling. Is there an original song they can toast or something? You know what I mean? No, but Harry Styles does do a very weird, like, dance in the film that is um out of nowhere and it's very uh i got no strings on me okay so and by the way we are inundated with pinocchio culture at the moment so i don't know if i appreciate that honestly it's it's a little bit pinocchio allegory too you know it reminds you of the like you know the boys um turning into like donkeys that creepy part you know like i will i will actually say the end of the movie is thrilling uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, but it is thrilling in a madcap Austin Powers sort of way. Ooh, uh, a name I did not expect to hear in this conversation, and God, we've missed him. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> speaking of legitimate Britishness, <laughs> so yeah, I think I think you know we'll probably have an addendum to the "Don't Worry, Darling" press tour drama because who doesn't love on-set drama that is then revisited during an awards circuit yes ah oh, please yes bring, bringing everybody back together us. come on right tell it to terry gross now yeah <laughs> all right well we're back we talked to nick crawl uh about this film but also his new netflix special little big boy and more we'll be right back keep it is brought to you by barefoot dreams Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024... 
The title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. All right. You know him from Kroll Show, The League, Big Mouth, his latest film, Don't Worry, Darling, which is out now in theaters, and also his new Netflix special, Little Big Boy which is out now as well. We are delighted to welcome to Keep It, Nick Kroll. Hello. Hi. Hi. Your special is out literally now as we are recording this. It it literally came out as, literally as we were recording this, uh, it came out and it feels so much more free and more who it's always wanted to be and (laughs) good for it yeah yeah it's it's family is gonna have to just learn to deal with it honestly and over time they'll learn to accept it and hopefully embrace it and if they don't then that's on them (laughs) promoting comedy to me or a comedy special is difficult because it's just you're telling jokes, which is what you're already doing here. So mm-hmm. do you develop strategies for promoting various comedy specials? Like, oh, but this time it's going to be like this. Well, it's weird because like, you know, um, for so, you know, when you do like talk shows for movies or TV or whatever, they always are like, and and is there, they quietly are like, and do you have some, and do you have some standups? And like basically being like, and do you have really good material that you want to burn on uh, our show? <laughs> And for years, I've basically been like, yeah, no, I just like, you know, look at my Instagram and figure out if there's something funny that I can say about a picture. Uh, And so um, because it's like you want to save that material, you don't want to burn that material on like a talk show panel. Um, And it was all ultimately towards getting like having fresh material to 
to have for a special. And so now the special's out. And so now the question is, is what we're doing here material? I guess right. is this, am, am I burning, <laughs> am I burning the next hour here on the podcast? Um, but no, it's, it is, it's this funny thing of like, as you go, it's like you spend, or at least I spent so long, like trying to be like the, you know, as funny as I can be always, but then I slowly have gotten like weirdly more genuine and, um, and the special itself is sort of a little more like, uh, vulnerable and revelatory. It's autobiographical in a way that I haven't done other stuff. And so I, I think as I've gotten older, I've just become more like kind of like, Oh, here's what I'm actually feeling right now. And, uh, which means it's not always funny. Uh, and then, and then I'll try to be funny. And then it's like, mm, I don't know if I'm ready to, I don't know if uh, we're ready to transition from a uh, vulnerable Nikki into very serious Nikki, uh, into, uh, into comedy Nikki. So, uh, there, and th that's, and that's what I just had to say. I feel like the vulnerability angle is inevitable given after you do so many characters for a certain amount of time, you just want to rest a little bit. Like, what if I just had a sincere moment where I talked to you and, you know, said something earnest like it's just it's easier ultimately you're giving yourself a break by being vulnerable it i mean it is it's also just like i you know i i mean i i my my wife lily and i you know we were talking about it like about it's now like three or four years ago where she's like why haven't you done a special yet and i was like ah that's for other that's for like Melanie, that's for ali wong that's for like my friends who are like stand-ups and part of that was i had done a lot of characters and my stand-up was sort of character driven but it felt like both because of Big Mouth, which is obviously like big jokes and I play a lot of different characters, but it's ultimately very honest and 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 autobiographical about where I was as a kid and, and ultimately where I still am. And I think I was pretty rewarded for being more honest uh, and 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 saw the benefits of that. And so it was like in this hour, it was like, well, I, I think I'm going to focus on that. And and and, you know, when you find a. a you know, a partner, uh, you know, you, 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 in, in my case, I think my being in, in, in a relationship with someone who really values, like, let's be, let's get into this and really be honest about where we are. Um, it infused where I want, what I wanted to talk about on stage. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's all still jokes, but I was like, I think I want to be like, let's see, see what this is, like where I am in my life. And, and, and hopefully audiences will, will not reject it. <laughs> um, I mean, well, speaking of Big Mouth, you know, you have um, this long running series, you know, which is beloved by, you know, like older people, younger people. Uh, so you've been producing a show for a while. But talking about vulnerability in comedy, it reminds me, I guess, a bit of what's popular now. If you look at like a Ted Lasso or an Abbott Elementary, like these are mm -hmm. shows that are winning the awards now and people are talking about them and they are much more vulnerable i would say than hard on the sitcoms sleeve, yeah. yeah you know more than sitcoms mm -hmm. you know than like a seinfeld you know like um mm -hmm. you know um a happy ending it's like they're 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 not as hard do you feel mm -hmm. that comedy has shifted this way amongst you and you know like your other friends who make comedy or is this just what's popular now I think it's, I mean, I, I think it, I think it really is dependent on the show and, and, but I think culturally, especially after the last few years, you know, it's been a tough couple of years. And so I think shows like, you know, like Ted Lasso or Abbott 
um, are, are, I mean, to me, very different from one another, but there, but there is something that I think people were drawn to about it. I think people, a lot audiences might be, were a little tired of like sad comedies, um, or harder, bigger, like little, you know, ones that aren't necessarily feelings driven. You know, the truth is, and, and the real luxury, uh, of my career is that I kind of get to scratch a bunch of different surfaces that, that I get to, you know, big mouth is, is very vulnerable, but it's some big, hard, crazy jokes that are <laughs> like super intense for some people. Um, but also big, big feelings. And that's sort of what I feel like I'm, I, the, the through line that I, as I, my career goes on that I'm trying to, that, that is the through line for me is like big feelings, big laughs. Like, I don't think I want to sacrifice either, but the, with the beauty of my career is that I get to do, depending on the project, different versions of it, you know, like to be able to be very sort of sweet and vulnerable and emotional, and then also do things that are incredible. Like, you know, I get to be on like what we do in the shadows and, and like a show that is pure jokes that isn't like super feelings driven. Um, and, and, and many things in between. And that, and that's a real, I, I feel the luxury of that, you know, speaking of big emotions and big laughs, the don't worry, darling press tour. Did you ever <laughs> know did, or guess that you would be basically like the statesman of this movie? Like I'm looking at you now and I'm like, you're, you're, you're like the sort of refined diplomat of this whole movie. I mean, like, I guess you're now in the middle of promoting it, but what's it been like just talking about this movie? Because as I'm sure several thousand people have said to you by this point, I can't think of a movie that has made this kind of impression in recent memory. I'm literally thinking of like Ingrid Bergman in Stromboli <laughs> or something where people were in a furor about what was happening. Yeah. I mean, it always, the, I'm my name and Ingrid Bergman's name are always coming up. <laughs> Getting uttered. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's been, I knew when I, you know, when I got the call from Olivia, in like it was probably like September 2020 we were in the thick of of the of the lockdown and I got a call being like hey do you want to be like my husband in this movie and you know I'd seen the trades of like Harry Styles and Florence Pugh and all that stuff and I was like that sounds so fun it was an intense thing shooting in the middle of COVID but I was like well this will be fun and it feels like splashy and people will know about it uh little did we know what what it would be um and you know I can now say you know, when, when the movie, you know, it's a thriller, the less you know about the movie itself, the better. And that's how I planned the whole press tour. I'm sort of the puppeteer, the Svengali of it all. Uh, <laughs> I orchestrated all the drama so that people would be talking <laughs> ah, about ah. the movie, but not the movie <laughs> itself. So, um, uh, you know, I was like, Harry, you should go spit on Chris right now. And then, uh, and then I was like, and then now you can, spit in my mouth and um <laughs> and he just gave me a closed mouth kiss but whatever we you know we, you can't give him too much direction you got to let him do his thing um no it was it, it was it's it was so crazy and but you know it's the for me um i really loved making the movie and i loved working with everyone on the movie so it was for me it was a very easy fun i mean it was insane like i said i've never been a part of something that's felt like the entire world was kind of watching it was like it felt like that weekend in venice it was like oh it was a boring weekend in this it felt like a boring weekend in the states where it was like oh serena didn't make it to the finals of the u.s open so like no one there's nothing else to watch so like let's watch this and 
um, for me, it was really fun. Like I was like, what a trip to be at Venice. What about, it was so exciting to see all these people that I'd worked with who I really liked working with. And, and it felt like they were happy to see me. And, and, and so it was a blast. I don't know. I mean, for, I can't speak for everyone else, but it was, <laughs> I had a blast. Did you find that your actual friends, you know, like were more into texting you and asking what was going on? Or have you been more like, you know, yeah. a person that people want to talk to at a party lately now, just because I feel like we were bored in America. And when I tell you that every single text chain that I had amongst a friend, even people who don't even pay attention to things um, were talking about this movie. And then they right. actually went to see it, too, which is shocking. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it did well. It's the number one movie in America. And that, and that is nice because out of all of this and like all the intensity and all the, you know, it would have been a super bummer if the movie came out and nobody went and saw it. But people are seeing it and I think people are enjoying it in a way that like, you know, critically it has, it didn't get great reviews. I think that's all tied into the drama, frankly. Um, and, but people went and saw it and I hope people continue to because I think it's a really fun, really fun movie going experience. Um, I did get texts from a lot of people like I had a, you know, I got married and had a baby and, and then I had, and I got a, you know, people reached out to congratulate me. And then I had a massive allergic reaction and I posted pictures of it. Um, <laughs> and I got a lot of incoming on that. And then I went to Venice for the premiere of don't worry, darling. And I got, uh, even more, uh, incoming on that. Uh, so I don't know what that says about my friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, there, it did feel like it did feel like there was I could feel the palpable kind of interest in it, you know, and and it was a real trip. I think one of the wildest jumps in the past seven years I've had while watching a movie is when you appeared in the movie Loving, which mm -hmm. I just nothing about that movie indicated Nick Kroll was coming. And mm -hmm. now that we have Don't Worry <laughs> Darling, it's like, okay, now you're building sort of a film. Like you're in the movie Night of Cups too. Like your yes. drama choices are whack. It's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked mm -hmm. by what you've chosen. And yet it also elated because I would mm -hmm. never guess that you would care to be in movies like that. And oh I was wondering, God. do they fulfill some sort of impulse for you? I love it. I mean, I like doing all types of things. And, and especially, I mean, so much of it is working with cool people. And I'm like, whether it's like Terrence Malick and Knight of Cups. I mean, I had a crazy, I'm in the movie for all 15 seconds. But my job, Terrence Malick, was, it was like, your job is you are a torpedo. You are here to disrupt. <laughs> and so my job for a day or two was to poke Christian Bale. Literally, that was my job. I was there to just incite uh, Christian Bale. And it was very fun um, and loving, you know, Jeff Nichols, who made that film is one of my favorite filmmakers and working with Ruth and and Joel and everyone in that cat. It was it was I like doing everything like I, you know, like every comedian, like you quiet. We all quietly like want to show everybody that we can act and 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 it's it makes everything more fun, the more that you get to kind of jump into different things. And in this case, I you know, went from, you know, shooting something like Don't Worry Darling, which is, I'd never been in a thriller before. Um, and and I loved Booksmart. I thought Olivia was, is a, and I think she's a really, really talented filmmaker. And so it was very fun to do that. And then, um, and then, and then go back to, you know, doing Big Mouth and then going on the road to do stand up and, and going and, you know, putting 
taping the special and stuff. And I just feel like the more I get to do different things, the more I get to enjoy each of the things that I have the real privilege of doing. Um, and I think because I've done enough of them now, people will, you know, place me in something that where you're not quite expecting someone like me to be. Mm. I mean, I think like, as far as being in Don't Worry Darling with, you know, Gemma and Harry and Kiki and Florence and, and Olivia, I mean, these are all some of the most beautiful people in the world, Chris Pine. It makes perfect sense that I would then be alongside of them. Duh, you know, yes. As, yeah. of, yes. As, <laughs> uh, as Mad Magazine's sexiest uh, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when you are picking, you know, um, other artists to work with uh, to be in, you know, like Big Mouth or like Human Resources, mm -hmm. you know, like... Mm -hmm. What do you look for in someone who is going to be, you know, acting mostly with their voice, you know, mm. like. Interesting. Um, you know, I mean, it's so much of Big Mouth was cast is are friends of mine, you know, the, you know, like Jesse Klein, I knew have known forever and, and Mulaney and Jason Manzukis, I've known Mulaney since college, Jason early days at UCB. Um, you know, obviously Fred Armisen and Maya, I knew a little later, but have known for quite some time, Jordan, Pe like, you know, it's an insane cast of people who are my, are my friends who I also believe to be the most talented people. Um, when we did human resources, we expanded that out a little more. And um, some of whom we brought in earlier, you know, in, inside of Big Mouth to introduce them like Kiki uh, Palmer, who you're just looking for people whose voices pop in a way that and some of them ended up being some of the biggest like stars in the world and that you understand once you then hear them on the show whether it's like Hugh Jackman comes in and plays an addiction angel and it's a, a, against type for him but it's just his voice just pops there's an energy to it there's a um and then there's people like Brandon Kyle Goodman who was a writer for many years on on Big Mouth and they um just came in to be to, to they were doing uh, a, a voice, uh, you know, they would read through it in the room, um, you know, like we always have our, our writers reading through it as we're, you know, writing the scripts. And they were just so talented that it ultimately was like, well, let's not, why, why are we going to chase someone else when we have such a talented voice right here? And they, you know, they, they pop on air. It's just like certain voices just pop. I love um, Brandon. I love Brandon. Brandon's a very close yeah. friend, and also, you know, you did steal our co-host from us too for a bit, Aida. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, and then Issa Rae stole her too. So, um, you know, it's a food chain. It's a <laughs> it's a food pyramid, and uh, it's this is that's the that's that's how it works. And we, but I think it is. We've been, I think, very fortunate to, uh, and I credit our producing team. Um, of, of spotting talent, um, early on, whether, you know, as, as we've continued to grow the show, we've tried to, you know, get younger, different voices in the room, whether it's like, you know, we had Jabuki young white for a year before, before he got the, the daily show and Joel Kim booster was, you know, joined us for as long as he could. Aida, Brandon Kyle Goodman, um, Caleb Heron is, is been a writer on the show now for a number of years. And, and in addition to the cast that the writers, you know, it's, it is so much of it. If you can build homegrown talent that then 
you know, get to also appear on the show and the, the better off you are. It's like you just kind of create this, this as big a bullpen as possible. Um, and some of them stick around, some of them get different opportunities. And you just try to create an environment where people feel as and you guys know, and I know, like, you know, Lewis is as a writer, but then also as as a talent, like you, 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 people have aspirations to do more than just write. And oftentimes, those people also are, are super talented performers. And, and you want to create an environment where they get to do all that. Um, when I look through your Wikipedia, everything, Kroll Show on Down, it's such a constant barrage of different types of characters, performances, etc. When have you been the most out of ideas? And what did you do to regain them? I think it was really, it was at the end of Kroll Show. We had done three seasons and I had was simultaneously doing the league so there was like between the pilot of Kroll show, it was, there was about four years where I was either writing and editing or shooting Kroll show or shooting the league. And I made a, a an indie film in there called adult beginners with Rose burning yes, right. in the middle of that. And I got to the end of whenever we were shooting season three of Kroll show and I was just done. I was just cooked. Like I was physically exhausted I, and I was creatively felt, pretty sapped and i i kind of was like i knew in my head when we were finishing season three of Kroll show that i was done um and we we ended it and and i just needed a reset and and at that point um Mulaney had just <laughs> Mulaney had just uh finished the hit show Mulaney and uh, <laughs> oh yes Nassim um, Padrad yes I remember yes uh and and we I remember going out to dinner and we were both sort of sitting there and we started joking about doing like an oh hello show and 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 we we didn't even know what it was but we were like well let's do that like let's go back to where we kind of started which was these two characters on stage and just like bring the stakes way down just go back to something that felt really fun and then my Andrew Goldberg, my my best friend from childhood, came to me with with Mark Levin and Jen Flackett, who he had known for a long time. And they brought me this show, an animated idea for a show about Andrew and I going through puberty. And that felt like such an immediate like, yes. And so it was like, you know, resetting the clock, letting myself start over, clean the slate. And from that moment came what became the Oh Hello show on Broadway and Big Mouth. And that sort of has now been as well as other things, but that sort of reset everything. And, and in that time, I also, uh, I pulled back a little bit from the league, which allowed me to go do loving and then other things that sort of came after that. So it was really kind of resetting everything and clearing the, clearing, the, clearing the table a little bit and then starting fresh. But that was the last time I felt like truly like sapped. Um, and, and, you know, I, it was, it was a, it was very good. I think there's something really healthy about like kind of restarting every once in a while. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, not to bring up a another traumatic um, press moment from your life, you know, mm -hmm. but you you did sort of like become part of the public consciousness in that um, very popular ABC show. Um, Caveman. Caveman. Um, mm -hmm. And what does that feel like now in retrospect being on a network show back when also like people were still really watching network shows, network shows and, yes. but now, they weren't watching that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny is even being canceled 
I have to imagine more people watched the premiere of Cavemen than watch some of the most popular shows on TV now. Yes. I mean, I think it was, it was a great, I'm very fortunate that was my first show. One, because um, I was in four hours of makeup every morning and, and I, I didn't know what a nightmare it was yet because I had nothing to compare it to. You know, I'd never mm-hmm. acted on television. Mm-hmm. Like I'd never acted on a TV show before. So I didn't know that like 90 hour work weeks and four hours of prosthetics every morning and getting like hair glued to my arms and legs anytime my skin was exposed was going to be an unpleasant experience. Um, but I learned a lot about acting and, and how to work with people. And then the show came out and we like, you know, we went to the TCAs and I don't, I don't know if you guys have been through those things, but you know, it's all the critics yeah. and you give all, you have a panel and what they were preparing us for was like, all right, so guys, just be prepared. Like everyone's going to ask, like, is this a show? Is this about Geico? Are you, is this like a, sh-? and it, like, and then we got up on stage and they're like, your show is racist. And it was like, <laughs> it was like, oh my God, we were not ready for that. But it, it did prepare me slightly for it. It was a great primer for like, you just never know what's going to happen. You don't know how things are going to be received. You don't know how things are going to, you know, you don't know what the process is going to be like. You don't know how, how hard a show is going to be to make. And it was a really good, for me, it was a really good first thing to do. And so when other things in my career have come up that have either stirred controversy or have gotten attention and not well received or whatever it was, it's like having gone through that, even though I already was like, I was like 29, like mm-hmm. so I was like 28, 29. So I wasn't like a baby. So I think I was even then was ready. So now when something like Don't Worry Darling comes out and there's all this sort of controversy, drama, hoopla around it, like I feel very fortunate that I'm like an adult, that I'm like in a position where I'm like, oh, this is crazy. But also like, you know, I feel prepared on some level for whatever this is, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here. I mean, you're, it's such a pleasure seeing you do whatever you do. And your new special is mm-hmm. fabulous. And this Don't Worry Darling moment has been so zany. And I thank you for, <laughs> in any way, how you've contributed to it. My, my, my small contribution to it. Yes. You're, thank you. The morsel no, you throw in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thank you. But no, I feel really, uh, I, the, the combination of something like Don't Worry Darling come out that I'm obviously not a, a small part of, but but was very, very lucky to be a part of and then my stand-up special which feels so wholly something that i feel a, a, a responsible for um and uh i hope people check it out on netflix uh it's streaming right now and i and i'm i'm very proud of it and i, and I really i hope people watch it and get to see something maybe for me that they haven't entirely seen yet so um yeah that's that's about it but i just want to say if people were paying attention to you ever at all even mm-hmm. just in the characters any interview you've done i mean there's always been a sincerity there so don't sell yourself short on that front either <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you go back and watch the caveman press tour Not okay i'll sincerity see there. <laughs> go back to that. i will i will i will see if you can up, find some footage from that i just looked up the numbers too and like the final episode odes of caveman were averaging like five million people a week still isn't that Jesus. crazy that would yeah. be a hit that would be a hit right now we were preempted for the Charlie Brown uh, Thanksgiving special uh, the week of Thanksgiving. 
I knew we were in trouble the following week when we were preempted for the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special. <laughs> wow. Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> Linus coming in ahead now. of you. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Linus was testing very well. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for having me. I'm a fan and uh, happy to be here. So appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks so much, thank Nick. You, Nick. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks so much. Don't Worry Darling is out now in theaters and Little Big Boy is streaming on Netflix. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you're wondering why all your friends were sharing a picture of a football to their Instagram stories over the weekend, the answer is that Rihanna is performing at the halftime show at the Super Bowl in February. This will allegedly end the music drought from Rihanna, who um, hasn't released an album since Anti, um, and was kidnapped by DJ Khaled um, and forced to release the song <laughs> Wild Thoughts. Um, and like Is that her last song? I think it might be. Let me look this up. The sample in that song is so funny. I'm sorry. Maria Maria, just as a reference point. I mean, I, I actually thought the song was okay, but Maria Maria as a reference point is just, you know, Abercrombie 2000s culture in a major way. You know what? Um, yes, because it came after Lemon, um, the NERD song in 2017. She has a song that she features on from Party Next Door in 2020, but no one's thinking about that song. Um, <laughs> Wild Thoughts is is a moment. It was a moment, yeah, was to fun. be honest. Uh, yeah. And I, I love that Maria Mira sample, too. It's so hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a funny song. Also, you're right. A song that you heard all the time at the time and never since. Yeah. Again, I believe there should be a German word for that. Again, I'm going to call it the just... Despacitography. That's what I'm going to call it. Those but, are the songs that you um, hear at Iris parties. Yes, precisely. I'm always throwing on um, wild thoughts. But anyway, <laughs> she was last on stage at the 2018 Grammys. And so this is Rihanna's return to um, remembering she's a singer. Right, which uh, she has more amnesia than all your faves on Days of Our Lives. I mean, <laughs> it, she simply needs to be brought to her attention. How do you think this even came about? Like, 
obviously Taylor Swift turned down the Super Bowl halftime show. Well, but then minutes later, Rihanna was took it. Does that mean they went to Rihanna and she's like, "Oh, that's a good idea," which seems crazy? Or did she say, "It's my turn to come back. Maybe I'll take the Super Bowl halftime show." Well, there were new reports that it was never offered to Taylor Swift, and that the Rock Nation I and Jay Z were always planning to give it to Rihanna, which then means mm-hmm. that. If she was second on the list, it's alleged that she was second on the list after Rihanna, if Rihanna did turn it down, and that mm. maybe Taylor's team like leaked that info that she was in talks just to be a part of the conversation. Oh, I see. You know? Because it seems got, wild got it. that the, it was Taylor is in talks to do the Super Bowl, and then like truly same day, within 24 hours, Rihanna is announced, and then we've got all the graphics ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you're. That is a great point. The graphics were right there. Like, yeah, there was not. There was not a hiccup. No one whipped that up in five seconds. So, no. Yeah, with approvals from her team, please. Yeah, something they take a while. Something's rotten in the state of Arizona, where the yeah. Super Bowl will be. <laughs> <laughs> nice pull. I don't know if I would have known that. Um, uh, what's interesting though is like, I would say like Rihanna's super fans the best of what they consider her music probably wouldn't necessarily be the huge singles and because the Super Bowl halftime show sort of reduces people to their huge, hugest moments I almost feel like you can predict the entire show unfortunately yeah and you know Billboard tried to do that and it was disastrous <laughs> what did they guess early keep it to Billboard's dream set list for Rihanna's Super Bowl which is don't stop the music slash SOS to start. Yes. To SNM no. uh, rude boy, a moment with three ballots back to back with love on the brain, then stay, then diamonds. Like what are we doing here, girl? No, just do diamonds. And then need it. Me followed by someone at billboard actually had the nerve to write Eminem medley with the monster and love the way you lie. We don't need Eminem Eminem on stage in 2023 Uh, at the Super Bowl. Wasn't he just there last year? But by the way, you know, there's, I mean that I I feel like that could happen. Yeah. Wasn't he there recently with like Mary J Blige and that weird house they built? Yeah. (laughs) They're still living in it. It was like a Sims house. Yeah. Right. Eminem can wait. (laughs) Um, Followed by Jay Z medley. Featuring Talk That Talk, Run This Town, and Umbrella. And I don't see Rihanna doing back-to-back medleys with Eminem and Jay-Z. But okay, Billboard. Um, Followed by an R9 track, because they assume she's going to debut a new song at the Super Bowl. Which, um, wishful thinking. Yeah, love Uh, the spirit. (laughs) uh, Ending with We Found Love. What a wild playlist i'm trying to think of those other things i would like oh wait so is uh what's my name not on there what's my name's not on there only girl in the world is not on here and also Mm, that feels essential there's i feel like there's no way she does sos that that was the opener remember that oh right with don't stop the music but i feel like there's no way she takes the super bowl stage and doesn't do a bit of rock star one-on-one Mm. At least if singing yeah, there has the to chorus. be a stomp moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's predictable with the big hits, but also I feel like, you know, she's going to switch it up a bit. 
God, I hope so. I mean, also, choreography-wise, I'm curious what she'll do. Mm -hmm. Just because it's been forever since we've seen her break it down that way. I am still mesmerized by that old... It's like a Vogue award show where she performs Vogue. Mm -hmm. What Rihanna was that? That feels like 50 stages ago. Yeah. But anyway, she did a whole version of Madonna's Vogue, and I just didn't know she cared. It was a good moment. It's been really fun to see her evolution as an artist and it'll be nice to see her come back and it's it's it's, it's interesting because i'm like whether or not we even get new music it'll just be nice to you know like see what she is planning to deliver and i think it's you know it's i enjoy seeing ron perform i love the anti-tour you know uh, mm -hmm. i saw the anti-tour i saw the only girl in the world tour the anti-tour was better only girl in the world she was still fumbling around stage much like a football <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you uh, really understand this sport and where it is performed. <laughs> okay, I know that Brett Favre has swindled people out of millions somewhere. Oh my God, that story—they keep adding figures to that. It keeps being like, "Oh, actually, it was eighty million. Oh, actually, it was 90. And yeah. aren't you just so disappointed that like his wife Deanna isn't currently on a Real Housewives franchise? Because I would love mm. this. <laughs> yeah, right. We could be getting into the nitty gritty of it. Which Super Bowl halftime show do you find yourself watching the most recently? Because as you all know in Keep It Land, among YouTube videos that our friends watch before we all go out on a Friday or a Saturday, Super Bowl halftime shows are probably... It's com it's competitive with drag race lip sync performances mm -hmm. for what we watch the most of. Gay men of but, our age love that because you know what it is? It's basically... that's I mean, that's why the Taylor stands were excited at first because it's basically a mini concert you could put on at a pregame or an afters and just like leave it there. Right. You know? and, and it's not, it's not actually the full concert, mm -hmm. you know, uh, at my birthday, I'll leave on the confessions tour and that's, I, I believe seven hours long. So you need to move on. Yeah. You know, well, I, you, you know, I just go Inferno is one of my favorite Madonna mixes ever. Oh yeah. With, um, erotica. Yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Madonna, erotica, music Inferno. Yes. Speaking of Madonna, I just want to side note that, um, I was at the Eagle on Saturday um, with Jeremy O'Harris and um, Baz Luhrmann. Um, and <laughs> what? Very random. And to hear him discuss M, Madonna. Oh, my God. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, Baz Luhrmann gave his um, idea, his, like, um, his thoughts on, you know, success in a career. And it is uh -huh. saying yes, um, even when you didn't want to, you know? And he said that he wishes he had said yes more in his career than not to, like, criticism. And he thinks that oh. that is one of Madonna's problems. That she agrees with criticism? No, or that, disagrees or she with won't it. Accept it won't accept it. Got it. Oh, yeah. She's very constitutionally opposed to most criticism yeah even though i feel I can, I can hear her in an interview being like no 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 no. if 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 i like where they're coming from if i understand that they're this 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 i can hear her saying she's an artist and understands how art works whatever but the ego is so strong and i say that appreciatively of course i, mean, I think that's the thing that's guided her this entire time but right an interesting note from baz yeah i mean interesting to hear that he's wishes that he had said yes to criticism before in his life too Mm. I wish you had for Australia. Would that criticism be like, yeah. Don't <laughs> I make say, would it. Would that criticism be? I have um, 
I'm I, I'm having a seizure at your movie, Baz. Can you tone it down? But honestly, I fucking love Elvis. I think it's in my top three of his. I just thought it was ultimately a flashy Wikipedia movie. Mm-hmm. I just feel like every frame there's something wild and insane, and I love revisiting it. Um, and of course, I've said this before, Elizabeth Debicki and uh, The Great Gatsby. Love that performance. Mm, yeah. So, you know what? He did what he needed to do. And of course, The Great Gatsby has a fantastic soundtrack, you know, produced by Jay-Z, yes. who is producing the Super Bowl. Look how I brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> We've been real like, let's just go all over the place this episode. There wasn't that much pop culture this week. I don't know what to tell you people. It truly wasn't. And I'm, and I'm you know, to get back to Rihanna, um, there's hopes that she'll be releasing new music around now, but like, I'm not going to count on it. Okay? I mean, Beyonce gave us an album and then said goodbye. Right. <laughs> no videos. She's like, guess what? I won't be doing promoting it. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be no visuals to this yet. Um, even though Act 2 is allegedly coming soon. The songs were registered I'm- at the ASCPA. So we at least know that it exists. Okay, Right. That's true. Yes, that was... And by the way, whoever did that detective work and then immediately posted it online, thank you. Yeah. Because those are the internet people we need. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I would love a new Rihanna. I would love to know what Rihanna is feeling in this era. You know? Um, I think she's essential. That's about it. Yeah, there's no second one of her. Mm-hmm. Not been... Played, and, which always feels kind of mind-boggling in that, you know, she came on with Ponda Replay and these, like perfectly uh, 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 listenable radio hits and then evolved into something resembling just so serious and so rad. I mean, again, like the epitome of rad, which is the one of four adjectives I know. There's been this recent conversation online too about the fact that Rihanna used to be, you know, sort of like nasty and rude online, you know? And it's, oh, it's yeah. funny she that had the time. it's funny that that era She's moved past it now. She's a businesswoman. She's mother, you know? But she still does follow those housewives. Like, she yeah. has particular taste in petty housewives, mm-hmm. which is where she uses that energy. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I hope that, you know, I can just, you know, evolve into that someday. You know, just, just following the housewives, um, selling makeup. Yeah. And my Twitter days are long behind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your lips to God's ears. Uh, we we all praying. Well, can't keep my mouth shut. Yeah, we gotta keep doing this every week. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah. But anyway, go football. I love it. Yeah. Actually, among sports, I hate it. I do not understand the drama of the game at all. I don't want you to throw shit, and I don't want that guy to catch it either. Rank sports. I feel like football's entertaining to watch more so than baseball. I totally don't baseball, agree. Again, well, I baseball, I hate on TV. It's more entertaining in person, but it's also still very long. I just, I honestly feel that golf is more entertaining than both of those. Let me tell you why. Because, like, everything is a serve. Mini- you know, like, <laughs> here, 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 <laughs> here comes this, here comes this, whatever. Chip off the fringe. Oh, it's near the hole now? Well, did you see that? You know, it's like you get to be a little bitch every time you do anything. Oh, I'm in the sand trap now? Now I'm not, mm. you know. What do you, how do you feel about froth? Uh, something about frisbee is both alpha and incel so i don't like that 
<laughs> the the frisbee has endured for quite some time, hasn't it? Right. Well, dogs stay jumping. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> When's the last time you played frisbee? I, I was a good ultimate frisbee player in uh, high school. Okay. Uh, we would play that in a uh, gym class. Again, ba- badminton is what I want to be the gay intramural sport. Because mm. you can make your gay little faggot tennis noises. And then you get to swing a racket really hard. I know it's sort of happening for pickleball. And ev- actually, online wouldn't shut up about that last week. But pickleball is still ultimately a little slow. And you get to plot murder while playing badminton. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've got plenty more to say about pickleball. Just you Oh, wait. Jesus. So... When we're back, keep it. And we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, you already teased it in the episode, so... I know what your keep it is. Yes. Um, my keep it, this isn't utterly uniform. There are things I like about the list, but is mainly to Rolling Stone's 100 greatest TV show list. For this reason, first of all, when you go to the list online, I've never seen this done before. You scroll to the bottom and you think you're reading the number one, but it's actually an ad. And when <laughs> I, I was reading it, it said number one, the good fight. And I about jumped into the ceiling. I said, the good fight is the greatest TV show of all time. You're saying Audrey McDonald is the world's greatest television star who ever lived? I want to be clear. I love Lucy's beneath this. Anyway, that disappears. It's an ad. That's the good fight. I don't know why you Number had to come for is, Audrey McDonald like that. I, <laughs> Ricky and the Flash star, Audrey McDonald? I don't know. Um, the number one is The Sopranos. Okay, great. Number two is The Simpsons. Number three is Breaking Bad. Number four is The Wire. I would love to congratulate men for all they have given television. Thank you so much. My problem is, I think the people that are the most passionate about ranking things tend to be men. And they specifically, in terms of TV fandom, know what they consider to be the best of all time. And they love trumpeting math. They love saying it's the Sopranos. They love saying it's the wire. They love saying it's mad men, breaking bad, whatever. And then they phone in the more just staff offerings of television and sort of just put them wherever they want in the list to make it seem like it's a balanced list. And so suddenly Fleabag is number five. I want to be clear that Fleabag has about, Four episodes and <laughs> is lovely and is very good, but is not better than, say, I Love Lucy or even Mary Tyler Moore, which is like a few notches down on the list. It to me feels like they have their shows that they're obsessed with, which are male led, generally speaking, and then the recency bias dictates what female led offerings get considered great or the greatest of all time. And then the things that we actually do care about that were women-led, like Sex in the City, are pushed way the fuck down the list because people can't just admit that Sex in the City was amazing. It is number 79 on the list. Yeah, you know, it's... The recency stuff is wild because Succession is, like, number 11. And you know I'm Succession Hive, but 
what? It's still yeah, on. No, of all time. It's still yeah, on. Right. And, and plenty can still go wrong, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've got Game of Thrones at 31 over The Office, which seems interesting. I would put The Office actually higher than Game of Thrones. Um, I, I would, the, too. The, the, place, the placement of certain things is just very weird but that's also that's also what these lists are for right i get that you're supposed to be upset but guess what i'm upset i am upset where's desperate housewives is it not on the list at all as far as i can tell it's not here unless they spelled it cheers (laughs) Um, like atlanta at number nine is that sincere atlanta is at number nine because of the reason the wire is at number three and it's um I put, you know, it's um, white people love to tell you to watch The Wire, and I love to tell you that they love Atlanta. And I'm not saying these shows aren't good, <laughs> but it is a barometer that, like, when you ask a white person to name a black TV show that they love, it's Atlanta. There are, there are, there are actually yeah. plenty of others I would put above it, you know, but um, everybody hates Chris, for example. Um, 227. I might put in living color way higher than wherever yeah. it is on this there's, list. There's, Hold there's on. always there's always a lack of interest in television shows that queer people would like, women, you know, like black people, other people of color. You know, it's very much the white men who've been reviewing television and telling us what's amazing are the people who are deciding things still, you know, and it's not, not Alan Seppenwall because I adore Alan Seppenwall's writing. Um, he's fucking fantastic, but it's from a long tradition of what's been decided. It's great. I agree with the Sopranos being very high. I fucking love the Sopranos, you know, but there's always this sort of, you'd better say Sopranos is the best TV show ever. Otherwise, you know, You'll get shot, right? Uh, whereas it's wherever I think yeah. you can't do that with film so much anymore, or 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 mu- music. You know, it's like there's room for everyone. As Sopranos, I feel yes, that's right. <laughs> Sopranos. Uh, I, I I've only seen like a season and a half of it. I did not understand that Nancy Marchand on that show, who was an Emmy winning veteran from Lou Grant, who plays Tony Soprano's mom, was fucking amazing on that show. Legendary performance. Wish more people talked about that. You got to watch but, more um, than one anyway, and a half seasons. I don't I know, know if you need I, to I, at this point. That's just it. I mean, like, I just have to carve out a block where I'm like, in, like, I, I, on vacation in some place where I don't want to go outside. Like, what are even the circumstances where this would happen? But anyway, it's a list that'll make you upset and also happy, as lists are supposed to do. So that's my keep it this week. Ira, what is your keep it? My keep it goes to this game that has the that has white gay men in New yeah. York City in a chokehold. It's called pickleball. And is that sport choking? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, pickleball. No, I love choking. <laughs> it's one of my favorite it's, sports. Yeah, right. Call me Homer okay, Simpson. That's right. Okay. i love to choke and i'm bart i love to be choked moving on i love the book choke okay okay (laughs) from dictionary definitions of the word choke here yes i'm familiar i'm revealing a lot about myself this week but uh pickleball after that vulnerability talk with nick i understand (laughs) pickleball maybe it's actually just a sign i know too many white people that could be Cause, I cause do why do like I know about pickleball. pickleball? 
What do I know about it's it? It's just one of those things where it's just one of those things where I guess there was an era where people didn't play it. I grew up playing it in gym class, mm. but to me, it's just not amazing. It's like a B minus sport, and now it's like taken over. You know, I would I, I would prefer we stick with dodgeball to make sure gay anger is represented as opposed to the, the light wooden tapping of a whipple ball. I was just. Is there a pickle in it? There sure isn't. There's no pickles. Um, like when you play, do you ever feel like, oh, wow, I'm I'm really in a pickle now? <laughs> People often turn to an imaginary camera and they say, I'm in a pickle now when the volley's on the other side. Yeah. I do that daily. <laughs> you act like Clarissa. I my life is constantly a caper. I didn't also realize that it was like old, like from the 60s when it was first invented. Oh, yeah. Because I never played it as a kid, you know? I played basketball yeah, on was... the streets of Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> Would love to see it. Yeah, you know what I got? Game. Go ahead. I bet you don't. All right. <laughs> I've got the board game. You got Sorry. Looney Tunes B-Ball on SNES. <laughs> yeah, right. I want to say congratulations to Taylor on fucking Taylor fucking Hale. Oh, my God. Could you believe? First of all, the finale speech alone. Best which, speech but, in Big but, Brother history. Okay, it was a great speech, and everybody agrees it was a great speech. It was also very bold. It was. Like, it was her saying, it was her saying, I actually, the whole narrative is about me. <laughs> so you have to believe that. Like, that was some trickery, you know, in addition to being, uh, uh, she made points, et cetera. But woof, we rarely get a victory where. Everybody feels exhilarated, like a, a sort of post-sex relief kind of um, thrill. And uh, she just seems so fucking cool in general. Let's get her on the show. Uh, she should be on the show. I think, I think someone tweeted at me that she listens to Keep It. So please if, get her which on. Means, which means she, she's dumber than she looks because <laughs> why is she listening to the show? Yeah. Uh, she could be our co-host. <laughs> I would love that. But yeah. All right. Great. Um. No, she's so amazing, and it's 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 so interesting too because like to win Big Brother, you have to get to the end, obviously, and then you have to convince the people who you kicked out of the house to vote for you. And she had some Doctor Will going on, you know? Yeah, like, no. Every person who won targeted her went out the next week. And she was yeah. on the block so many times and was constantly removed from the block. Everyone in the jury house, except for Turner, basically went in campaigning for her to win. Yes. Right. Like, every, like all the light in the room bent towards her eventually. That is mind missed. And it's, I, I, it's just really beautiful. And honestly, like, um, shout out to our... Um, Andy Heron esque King Michael, who could have very well won too, yes. uh, right? Because he was a fabulous a, player. A, you know, it's it was fun seeing just sort of like a overtly gay man on a reality show like that also be a comp beast because we usually see it on Survivor yes. with like the Tysons, you know, um, like those kind of people like just winning competition after competition, and it's like as soon as they don't win, we're getting rid of them. Um, right. And it was nice to see it in like the form of like a gay man, you know, uh, and he could have won yeah. if he hadn't those people. all, But those people always go out during like a double eviction. 
Right. No, exactly. It's almost what that's built for um, because they, start, they they have to lose at some point and then get kicked out. He and Taylor would be a good, amazing race duo for the record. Um, and I also want to congratulate Taylor for being kind of an unusual character for Big Brother. Mm-hmm. Like she, she was a narrator for us, but she was not like her comedy was not broad, which is sort of what the comedy voice usually is in that show. She really kept it even keel and adult seeming which feels like is not the prerogative of that show she's kind of dry the show for picking her yeah uh, very dry very dry yeah uh which i could see why people would see she was a bitch as some of them thought early on but like you could tell that she wasn't you know yeah people aren't accustomed to that kind of voice really anymore you know Mm -hmm. Uh, people are all people are too vulnerable and sincere (laughs) uh nick crow would not win big brother no, right. He would be out week one, week one or two. Yeah, uh, he'd be he'd be he'd be. Uh, I was oh, po- po- he'd be pooched. pooched, pooched. I think Pooch is already selling things on Instagram. Um, and <laughs> he has such a pretty face. Yes. Oh, I mean, they they routinely do very well in that department on Big Brother. Yeah. Um, keep it though to Kyle being third in like America's favorite players rankings. Mm, that's giving. I mean, like he's. He's not an utterly evil person, but that fan base is giving the South Pole rise again, if you know what I'm saying. I know. And it's torn between, like, wanting to be mad and just wanting to be like, please, some other non-white people scoop him up and, like, let him become a better person. Because otherwise, he'll go full Fox News commentator. And we don't want more of them. (laughs) <laughs> right there are enough yeah you know the quote is filled Ugh, remember tommy lara i was just thinking about how <laughs> so many of those names end up actually disappearing like who talks about ann culture anymore anyway we need to end the conversation here it's getting dark <laughs> well she's on next week <laughs> <laughs> talking about don't worry darling <laughs> and that faggot harry style she would call him a faggot <laughs> and you know what it'd Again, be funny no, once out of every 15 times. I mean, look, Anne's a lawyer. She has to be funny every once in a while. <laughs> uh, I've watched that sitcom. Anne Coulter, Attorney okay. at Law. <laughs> the other She-Hulk, I guess. <laughs> All right. That's our show this week. Thank you to Nick Kroll for joining us. And um, we stopped worrying, darling. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fortell. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best.
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.